All right, what's up? Welcome to the Miduele Podcast, episode 23. We spend about 40 minutes here with Brent Chambers, the race director, owner, manager, whatever you want to call him, of Lotija. 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 Maybe we should have clarified that with Brent, how to pronounce the race's name. Pretty sure it's Lotija. We're grateful for Brent and the time he spent with us. Uh, in this episode, he talks about how the race is planned, how he got through 2020, uh, what he does to get volunteers and the community behind the race, as well as just some some fun stories about how he connects with all of the people and the relationships involved. Such a cool guy, such a great story behind our favorite event of the year. We're grateful to be part of Lodija and thankful that this team is always so well represented in the race, not only by Brent, but also by everybody that signs up and has participated. We have some guys this year who are doing their 20th Lodijas. We've had guys that have done 29, almost 30 Lodijas. They've been, they've been with the program and the race since the very beginning. So grateful for Brent, thankful for everything Lodija does for this team, and we hope you love the episode. All right, bye. All right, everybody, welcome to the Miduele podcast. We're uh, so excited for today's episode because it's kind of like what our entire, man, I don't want to say lives, but man, our entire season revolves around. We're so great to have uh, Brent Chambers with us. The uh, Brent, do I call you the owner, the manager, the CEO? Uh, I, I guess I, I'm not much for titles, but I guess you could say I'm the owner. Owner. So, so he's the owner of... of I, I wear lots of hats. You can pretty much call me anything. <laughs> race director all of it of the of loaded joe we're so grateful to have him on uh spence is here jake is here uh and we're going to just talk all day today about the race and get the nitty-gritty from brent about uh how it started uh how he how he runs it how it's changed over the years uh, how it's planned and just uh, all the fun stuff that we're always interested in about how this race works um but um before we jump into it, not a whole lot from the team other than um, kit pickup and team picture. Jake? 2020 red kit. Uh, 2021 red kit. Sorry. Mustache? No, mustache? No mustache? I mean, what should we do? <laughs> mustache is good. <laughs> and uh, the Porter Forks thing. Right now it's the Porter Forks thing for those oh, yeah. who haven't uh, yeah. followed your email. Okay, so Porter Fork Challenge next week. It starts on May 30th through June 5th. Uh, we're just doing a challenge. So if you go up Porter's Fork once, congratulations, you you earn a kit, uh, a t-shirt. There's a, a little form you can fill out to get it. But then we've got some challenges. So fastest time up Porter's Fork, uh, most the sense of... Chip, how many times do you think you could go up Porter's Fork back to Consecutively? Back? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's well, awesome. you'd have to put on your walking shoes if you were really going for it. Hey, they just repaved it though, didn't they? Yeah. 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 Nice. Dude, one time for me and I'm like, why did we come up here? It's a terrible idea. So, yeah. Okay. So that's on the line. That's online. Hope everybody uh, has fun with it and, and participates. And then we'll do kit pickup and team picture May 8th, 7.30. Be there to pick your stuff up. And then at 8, Adam Barker Photography will take our picture. Uh, red kits, 2021 kits. So. Yep, that's awesome. Great. Very good. Hey, Brent. Welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Appreciate Man, it, we're so excited to have you. This is a long time in the making. Um, 
you want to just introduce yourself, like what you do and, and uh, who you are? And then we'll kind of roll into just asking you questions about the race. So uh, I've been doing Lodigen now 24 years. I took it over. I was actually had a, a guy that worked for me um, at the time. I had a marketing business and a guy that worked for me had done Lodigen three times. And he knew I was a sucker for anything bike. And uh, after the 97 race, he came to me and he said, uh, they're, they're going to close it down. They're not going to do Lodigen anymore. He goes, do you think our company could do it? So I was pretty optimistic. I said, sure, yeah, we can jump in. So uh, uh, 1998 was my first year, and we, this will be year number 24 for me. Um, other than that, uh, just uh, like you guys, I have a family, wife, two boys, two, two, uh, four kids, two boys, two girls. Uh, my oldest is 30. My youngest is uh, 19 going on 20. Nice. And uh, Lodija is my uh, uh, is how I provide for my family. It's um, my full time job. I work on it year round. I also do some work for Huntsman Cancer Foundation, help them with their Huntsman Sports Fest, which nice. is a fundraising event they do every year. Brent, well, you got to know that this race, the work you do, means everything to this team. We. Uh, we revolve a lot of our identity and culture around the race and what you put into it. And just the culture of the race itself is so fun. It defines a lot of how we train, how we live, uh, what we look forward to. Maybe you don't want to hear that, that we're that obsessed yeah. with it, but it's uh, it is a lot of fun. I mean, last year there were over 40 of our team that, that raced, that participated. Uh, and I'm sure there's even more this year. Uh, so we have a long, we have some of the guys on the team that have done it 30 plus times. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you probably You've got Jim that will earn his uh, 20 year award this year. If I remember That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Hutton will go for his 20th. I think Chris is as well. Chris Peterson. Peterson. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Chris. Yeah. Chris took some time off. He hasn't done it for a few years. Yeah. He'll be there this year. And, um, and then, uh, I, um, trying to think I, uh, is it Spencer? Do you, uh, this will, you this will be number, number five for you. 10. This ten will be number you. 10 ten for, for you. And yeah. Number Stu's, five. You are Stu's number five, you right? Or Stuart, you earned your five last year. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I've done five. This will be my sixth. So. so dang, look at him. He is a race director. He knows. He's I've done my homework. I had to, I had to <laughs> check it out. Yeah. I've only done four. So this will be my fourth year. So yeah. I'm kind of a, a newbie somewhat. Brent, maybe you could start with, um, how it started, how it's changed, uh, and maybe just kind of the history of the race. So it started in eight, 1983. That was the first race. I would imagine it was sometime before then. Um, a friend of mine, uh, one of the founders, David Byrne, well, both founders are friends of mine, but David Byrne was a student at Utah State, was going to school. He's from Michigan, um, was pursuing a degree in journalism, and was just spending too much time in the books and in the classroom and wanted to, uh, he rode a lot of bikes back in Michigan and um, just wanted to get out and do something. And he wanted to create a, a race that was similar to some of the spring classics you'd see in Europe. So he came up with this idea of riding the bike from, from Logan to Jackson, uh, approached Jeff Keller. Jeff at the time had a brand new bike shop. He was probably two or three years into his bike shop. Sunrise Cyclery up in Logan. 
And together they both worked together on that first first race. That was 1983, and there were seven of them that competed. A guy mm-hmm. named Bob Van, Van Slyke from Logan was the winning time. Uh, don't have his time. In fact, I don't have any results from 83 till 90. All the 80s I do not have. That was never given mm-hmm. to me when I took the event over. Uh, but since then, for the first, uh, I took it over in year 15. So the first 14 years went through a series of race directors, probably seven or eight different race directors ran the event. I know Jeff and David probably did it the first two or three years. Um, and David Byrne uh, has probably ridden it of the 39 years, has probably done it about 33, 34 times. Wow. Hmm. Cool. What were the- Jeff, and Jeff's last time to ride it was uh, the year I took it over, but he really didn't ride it. He got a ride in a car. <laughs> in between. <laughs> People kept thinking he was cheating. <laughs> what, uh, I mean, what changed, like what made, so the one thing we note about, about it is that it's very successful in my, in my opinion, both for the stories, what people love about it how many people participate i mean what has changed over the years brent that's that's like made this become what it is you know i that's a that's a good question um i uh would like to think that uh well i think all race directors work hard or most race directors work hard to put on a good event and i'm not sure what changed from the time i took it over and um 98 it actually when i took it over the first year is interesting because we we took it over in the fall of 97 started organizing it beginning of that year and i had four or five employees dedicated to working on it for nine months and uh, we left uh at the time my office is downtown ogden and we left uh, to go to logan on that friday for packet pickup we had 12 people in our database at 30 dollars uh registration so figure do that now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, nine months times five employees equals three hundred sixty dollars. Not so we we took a pretty good bath that first year. Uh, but one thing I learned is, um, like I said earlier, um, when we were talking before we started this, is I'm a sucker for anything bike. So uh, we had a great time. Um, uh, everybody that was involved from the volunteer side, from the support side, had a good time. And so we continued on with it. Um, for me, it was just a matter of organization and relationships. Um, and, you know, doing things early um, and just trying to improve every aspect of the event. I mean, there's, there's several things that have to come together to make a successful event. Um, one is obviously cyclists. You need cyclists to have a successful event, but there's other elements a key part is volunteers you know doesn't matter how much time i'm spending organizing lodija every year it'll all fall apart if i don't have good volunteers on course mm-hmm. um, and there's other elements you know you got vendors and sponsors and you know all, all kinds of people that are partners with the event that make you know or the glue that hold it all together uh, but really um it grew you know i i do know this that it, the first year in 98, uh, we had 12 in our database when we left for Logan that we had everybody registering the day of, and that was the mentality back then. You would wait to see if the weather was nice. And if it was good, I think I'll go ride Lodija tomorrow, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they'll go up to Logan and check in. And, 
and grab a hotel room and, <laughs> and wake up in the morning. And that's really what it was. And we had 100 and, well, 205 in the database that Friday night and 192 started. Hmm. Uh, so we had 13 DNSs. But that was the first year. Then the second year, it jumped up to 330. Then it went to 550. Then 731. And then 930. And in 2004, we started a writer cap. In 2007, we started the lottery. And we've been fortunate enough to have um, more demands and supply. So we've, mm. we've, it, that's been a good thing. And that, that makes it so we can um, run an event. And the, the other thing that's been a nice change is it's hard to pay for bills when you get 192 people registering the day before the event. Yeah. Because most of your bills happen before the event even happens. And whether I have 12 in my database or 192 in my database, it, the bills are the same. So um, that's one of the nice things about where it is today is that we get do registration early and I have money in the bank to pay for all the bills and, and uh, which makes it so we can keep going. Yeah, what are yeah. numbers at this year, Brent? Uh, we, you know, last year was nice from a lottery standpoint because um, first off, I didn't know what to expect and we just accepted everybody that came in <laughs> and mathematics worked out. And, and, and this year we're actually up significantly um, probably over maybe 2015 or so. So we're back up to where we need to be. And we did have to do the lottery again this year, which is a good and bad problem. It's not, it's not fun to do. Uh, yeah. You get a few people that don't swallow the pill too, too good. Mm. So. Yeah. Hey, before we move on, maybe it'd be interesting to hear from Jake and Spence why they think Lodija is a success. Man, for me, so many reasons. Lodija is a success because it drives you to train so hard throughout the year to be able to accomplish it. So that's looking at it from a different perspective. It um, is a is a well-run competitive event that makes you want to train hard throughout the year to, uh, now there's two pieces of this, one to compete in it and then one to finish it for many, for, for majority. Um, they want to accomplish writing uh, Lodija because it, it is just that, that challenging. So it is a success from uh, that standpoint of taking an athlete, a cyclist um, to the limit, um, not just to complete it, but to compete in it. And Therefore, that is another piece of success of the event is that there is a race division and uh, the cycle sport uh, division that allows those to um, ride the event. And that's successful. And while we're on the success of Lodija, I would give uh, props to Brent for during a pandemic. I mean, there were, I'm sure we'll hear Brent say many changes that were figured out this last year in 2020 that will likely carry on um, moving forward because it was uh, so well ran with just how from, from start to finish in, in my opinion, writing it last year. Um, so um, there hasn't been a year where I have been dissatisfied in, in writing it. And it has been, this will be number 10, like I said, and, 
just been so impressed with with how it is ran and and Brent mentioned the volunteers um, fantastic volunteers from packet pickup to the time that they take off your race chip from your ankle because you can't bend over and take that thing off and <laughs> there they are That's every year job by the way they take those they take those race chips off your ankle and they put the cold towel over your neck and throw um, a finisher medal on your around your neck and you're like from start to finish, this was a success. So that's, that's how I view Lodija. Those are how I view it as a, as a success. Well, just let me jump on real quick. What, to, to what Spencer just said, uh, one of the things I think the founders and the race directors prior to me did really well. And, and I don't think it's by accident is they positioned Lodija in the fall, you know, kind of as the last ride of the season. Mm. Um, you know, for me, as I've taken it over, I've, you know, one of the things I've said, it's always the first Saturday after Labor Day. And that's just so we miss the, the vacationers going up to Jackson Hole and Teton National Park, you know, and we don't, we don't want to hit that traffic. But it really is kind of a end of season goal for people to work towards. Um, so it's positioned, calendar wise, it's positioned nicely. Plus it's so long, it's, it takes a lot of time to train for it uh, during the summer. And so all the events leading up to it and all the training leading up to it, it's kind of like the grand finale yeah. uh, before you shift to cyclocross or some other event. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, the finish line is incredible. You know, the view just is uh, an amazing view to, to finish right below the Tetons or along the Teton mountain range there. So. Uh, my turn. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, just picking off uh, what Spencer said, but I think just the logistic part of it, you know, you train all year for this race and you know, the logistic, the planning behind it, you know, it's going to be an exceptional race. Everything's going to run smoothly. I mean, just, and also the environment, I mean, having those motorcycles, you know, with the, with the lead groups, it just makes the, the environment really special. And, and uh, like Brent said, I think having it at the end of the year, you know, having it late in the fall just makes that cherry on top, that end goal at the cap, the end of the summer, you know, incredible. And, uh, but I just, I think the big thing for me is just logistics. You know, you're going into a race that's well-planned, well-organized, great volunteers. Um, and you're getting a good group of cyclists. I mean, guys that are going to compete, girls that are going to compete. And, uh, I think it's just, it really is an incredible race and something that I've enjoyed now going into my fourth year. It's just, you know, I'm, you're going to walk into this race and it's going to be just well-planned, well-organized and, um, you know, mad kudos to, to you, Brent. So, yeah. If I can go, um, man, I love, I just love the culture of what it is. The race itself is fun, but somehow Brent, you've created a thing where it's like the people and the atmosphere is better than when you're in it. You're like, this is, this is dumb. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not doing this again. <laughs> but, but then the people you meet, the experience is like, why I love it. Um, like the fact that I get to be with my family in a race, like so fun. There's no, there's not very many other experiences like that where we're kind of doing it together. Um, uh, the, the people that you get to be with, uh, uh, like I've made some of the best friends ever from random guys at the beginning, you know, to the end. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you can plan for that Brent, but what it creates is just so fun from a culture standpoint, like the atmosphere is just the best. Uh, there's no other, there's no other event like it. 
in my opinion. Well, I think that's something I, I don't have control over necessarily. Uh, you know, you, we rough, on average, we have probably 14 to 1,500 people that cross the finish line in a given year. And that's 14 to 1,500 different stories and different perspectives. And I think they bring a lot to the table in making that culture uh, yeah. with all those different. And, and a lot of times as you're writing, uh, and, and maybe r- racing it doesn't bring this on as much because you're trying to catch your breath. But if you're just writing it, you get those opportunities to, to talk to those people. Yeah. And, and hear some of those stories. Maybe spend a minute, Brent, and tell us about last year, how you navigated it, um, how it all came together. I thought it was a huge success. Um, like you and, and everybody, you know, when prior to March, I was still making fun of the pandemic. You know, the, I just thought it was another mad cow disease or something like that, or, which affected, I would, not to diminish those, you know, what, how that affected people, you know, some of those diseases earlier or those pandemics or those, those outbreaks that we've had earlier in the years for, for the first 20 years, but nothing, never did I believe that it would become what it was, you know, what, what happened last year. And so I watched it like everybody else did. And about the time the NBA canceled their season is when I finally realized, Oh, this is serious. Um, and uh, so I watched it for a couple of weeks in March and then um, I knew that registration was coming up and I had to make a decision on what we were going to do. Um, but I'm always an optimist. And I, and if someone tells me I can't do something, I tend to go the other way. And uh, so I had to publish something. I had to send out a communication before registration to let people know what was going to happen. So my first step was to just let people know, here are the options that we have. And I don't know if you remember that document or not, but that was emailed out before registration. I just wanted people to know what they were getting into up front. And uh, then the next hurdle to jump over was, is anybody going to sign up? Am, am I going to get anybody registering for this event? Because if I didn't, if, if May came and I didn't have anybody in my database or very few people in my database, I couldn't pay for the bills. Um, and I would have just, you know, that would have been it. And I would have been looking for a job. I would have been asking you guys for work. <laughs> um, we take you. And uh, so fortunately, blessed enough to receive enough applications to say, okay, people still want to race. Pe- people still want to ride. And so I continued to move forward. But it was never a for, for, a for sure thing. And, uh, you know, then I just started taking um, everything that was being done already um, from, you know, for example, you know, Chick-fil-A, what they were doing to adapt to it and other restaurants or fast food places like that you know, and what they were doing to, to keep business going. And, you know, really the, the, it was simple to just follow the CDC guidelines. If I implemented changes and adaptations to follow those guidelines, um, I could hold an event. And then I had to, to make sure that everybody from Logan to Jackson uh, agreed with me. And, you know, there's over 300 different groups and organizations I work with um, from Logan to Jackson. So that's a lot of yeses. Wow. Um, so, but I, I took a proactive approach. I did not wait to be told what to do. I put my, 
plan in place and told them what I was going to do. And that helped. Um, and really it was easy to figure out what to do because it's all, it was all published. It was all online. It was um, available. And, and USA Cycling actually did a really good job of doing some webinars early on. I, I went, participated in three webinars in May. that was real helpful um, moving forward as well. But uh, every change that we made um, from a permit stamp that affected permits uh, and locations as we change the feed zones and, and, and where we feed and how we feed, all, everybody said yes. And, um, you know, Teton County and, and up Jackson Hole Mountain Resort, that was a, a big question mark. And really what we did is we made two events in one is really what the, the bottom line was, is we basically created a race event that was kind of separate from the ride event separate feed zones, separate finish lines. And basically by doing that, we half the traffic, half the congestion. And then as you know, all three of you raced last year, I believe, um, we, spread, we spread the start times out and tried to spread things out on the road too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you have, yeah. did you have like a, a group of people helping you kind of counsel this? I mean, was it just you kind of like, not, not shooting from the hip. I mean, I know you're way more organized than that, but I mean, did you reach out to certain groups oh, and I did, maybe yeah. teams just to kind of get a feel of what, you know, changes or, you know, adaptations needed to happen? Um, I did a lot of reading, um, a lot of listening, a lot of, yeah, a lot of research uh, to know. Um, and that a mixture of that was not only going to resources online, but talking to people. Yes, for sure. Mm. Man, Brent, uh, as you gather the, um, the volunteers and prepare for September each year, um, we'd like to know what goes into the preparation for all of that and for the event in general and working with each city for permits. And, and um, man, I, I can only imagine how much goes in because it covers so much ground through so much area. Um, I also need to give a shout out to one of our um, longtime neighbors, Dick Krebs, oh, yes. who was um, yeah. a longtime volunteer um, up there. And, and he would make everybody's day better when um, registering and picking up packet pickup and at the start line. His dear wife just passed away this past mm -hmm. year. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, Dick was the uh, reason how Dick got tied into the event because he served a mission uh, with my parents or mm. my stepfather and mother. Mm. And they became friends. And, and Dick was all about uh, volunteering. He was always enthusiastic and wanted to yeah. help out every year in any capacity. And little so, did I know that that, well, he was getting to the age where you just didn't know what to expect. But uh, it was great to have him at the start line that last year. Yep. So cool. So as you, as you start, is everyone expecting to hear from you in each city as you kick off each year and the paperwork just starts all over again uh, each year to get permitting and, and um, the go aheads for, and, and some people have got to be against it, Brent, right? Like, Hey, these kids coming through not, our city. Well, making not, a mess. not the Do people you, I, not the people I work with. Okay. Um, you know, I've, I've been, like I said, I've been doing this 24 years. So you develop good relationships with these good. people. 
Yeah. And um, I learned early on, it's all about relationships. A quick story, if you want to hear a quick story of how yeah, I learned that please. lesson. Oh, yeah. Um, so early on, first year, 98, as I was having these pre-planning meetings with uh, um, some of the, the people that had organized the event before, they warned me not to, not to talk to Bob Long. Because if Bob Long, if I met with Bob Long, he was going to shoot me. He hated cyclists. And Bob Long was, uh, had an old sea store that was along the old traditional route. Uh, it was in an area called China Hat. It was north of Soda Springs on Highway 34. And uh, just an old little, think of, imagine a kind of a 1940s, 1950s sea store is kind of what it was. And Bob Long collected all kinds of things. And, and to look at his property back in the late 90s, um, early 2000s, you think it was just a junkyard. But, you know, but Lodija for a few years would use the front of his property as a feed zone. Mm. And, um, and because Bob Long hated cyclists, um, I was told to avoid Bob Long. Well, I think it was in that the following year, and I did avoid Bob Long in 98. <laughs> I, I did not talk to Bob. I did not, I, I valued my life too much. Um, in 99, I was off on a, just a recon trip early, probably midsummer, and I, I passed China Hat on purpose, and I went to an area north of there, um, uh, trying to remember what it's called. Um, it was an old Henry store, it was, was. It was a store that uh, was kind of near the Blackfoot Reservoir, and they had a little RV park across the street. I walked, it, walked into this little post office in the RV park, and it was like um, I was black and I was stepping into a white-only store in Montgomery, Alabama in 1960. <laughs> I mean, there was so much prejudice going on. It was insane. And they told me they hated cyclists and that we shouldn't be doing the race. And whatever you do, don't go talk to Bob Long because he'll shoot you. So as I leave that store, and, and I just listened to him, I didn't say much. I, I didn't get confrontational, but I, I, I learned something from that conversation is there's lack of communication going on. They, they did not know they were judging cyclists as being bad people. And I knew otherwise. Um, I was a cyclist and I didn't think I was that bad. And I knew a lot of the cyclists that had ridden loaded. I didn't think they were that bad. So I decided instead of turning left to go north to Jackson that day, I went back down, I turned right. I went down to China Hat and I talked to Bob Long. I ended up spending up three hours with Bob Long and learned a lot. He didn't hate cyclists. In fact, when I walked into a store, he had a shelf up high on the wall and he had every water bottle for the first 15 years of Bulgogia stacked on that wall. And part of his junk that was, that was stored he had a collection of Peugeots, not only Peugeot automobiles, but Peugeot bicycles. Uh, if you're familiar with Peugeot, it's an old Italian bike. Um, I'm not sure if they even make it anymore, actually. I haven't seen it one for years. But I was familiar with it because my parents had a couple of Peugeots. And um, so Bob and I hit it off. He was in his late 80s at the time. And for two or three years, um, we actually hosted the feed zone in front of the sea store and we, we communicated to him. 
We thanked him. We were gracious. We encouraged the cyclists to not just use the sea store as a place to, to use the bathroom, but also a place to maybe give back a little bit and, and buy, you know, a candy bar or a drink or something from him because he was abused and he was neglected and he wasn't communicating with him. I learned the lesson that you just, it's all about relationships and, and, and communication and making sure that uh, you're respecting who they are and what they do and their business. Mm-hmm. It's not just about our race. It's about their business too. Very cool. Brent, that sets the tone. Um, that story is applicable to every small town that we, that we ride through. Absolutely. And, and I think that we notice um, the likes of your story through each town that we roll through based on the volunteers and the families out front ringing the bells and the, and the cowbells and the cheering as they're sitting in their lawn chairs, you know, and so that's a real tribute to just the culture that you've fostered within the organization throughout these small towns, because it's just, you can't find another event that, or, or the geography that allows for these three great climbs and this finish in Jackson, in, in Teton village, other than what you have. And so it's just crucial to, for someone as a race director to have uh, that kind of relationship with all those along the way. And I learned that, I learned that lesson early on. So, yeah, I, I do try to maintain good relationships with everybody up down the course. So it's interesting to, to that point when you see social media that, that uh, talks about um, the rednecks in Star Valley. So, so <laughs> that kills me. Mm-hmm. It, it, when someone makes a comment like that, they're talking about people that I have relationships with. And exactly. With. And <laughs> they don't do that. They're, they're actually doing more harm than, than good. Yeah, Brent, do um, with um, as you know, cycling will continue to grow. I think in popularity, and there's a greater demand. Like you're saying, participation is up, etc. What do you? How do? Will you just maintain kind of a cap? um, You know, via the lottery, etc. Have you ever considered anything? you know, in a way to have more people to want to participate that are turned away. What, what's the alternative? Is there an alternative or does this kind of remain at the level of participation as a maxed out event uh, for the next 10 years? It'll be maxed out uh, as long as I'm the race director. Yeah. Um, because it, the number one priority for me is safety. Mm-hmm. And um, there's only so much time you can allow people you know, we can't go much after 7.30 in the yep. morning to get people to Jackson before it gets dark. Um, and if we started the fast people last, then we'd be jump, you know, stepping on each other's toes all the mm-hmm. way to Jackson, and that would be complete chaos. Yeah. Um, so loaded is riders caps based on 31 start groups and an average of about 50 cyclists per start group. You know, you know tandem category, I'm not going to get 50 tandems. <laughs> but uh you know a men's masters 35 plus yes i'm gonna i'm gonna actually uh bring in about 60 of those so, yep mm. per, per start and you know you, you know with those I'll, I'll usually fill two or three or four masters 35 plus groups 
So that's what the Ryder Cup's based on, and uh, and that that will not increase. So, Brent, uh, um, maybe talk for a sec about what it takes to run the event. If you've got any statistics on food, volunteers, the planning, who does the race bible, the routes, the awards, the hotels, the travel. I mean, there's so much involved. What maybe just speak for a minute about everything you have to manage. So I, the way that's broken down is, is it seasonal. So, um, so for example, volunteers, um, you know, they're signing up now. Um, we don't focus a lot on them right now. Right now, my focus is registration, getting everybody all those questions answered. Um, but uh, yeah, you've got to, it's just kind of, juggling all of those types of things throughout the year and, and knowing when to, to work on certain things. Um, you know, like the race Bible, for example, you mentioned that in your question, you know, we do a preliminary version of that um, before registration opens. Um, one of the things we can't update is the start schedule uh, because we don't know how registration is going to affect that. Um, but we try to get, the dates and the times and all those types of things, basics. So someone new coming to the event at least gets some of the basics. But really that Bible doesn't get finalized till some of the, the details of the event are finalized. You know, there's a lot of question marks, for example, road construction. You know, what's going to be shut down? What's Hoback going to look like, you know, come September 11th this year? <laughs> and so some of those details, you know, you can't put that – you know, in a, in a March edition of the race Bible. So that's kind of a, a moving thing. And we've kind of gone to electronic versions. So um, we can do last minute changes and not have it obsolete. But, but that's an example. It's just seasonal. I could go through each different area and kind of break down, I guess, if you wanted me to, when we kind of attach each, each, each area. We do, I've, I've broken the event down into six areas just to kind of give you an idea. One okay. is cyclists, one is volunteers, the other is sponsors, vendors, communities, and charity. Mm, and those are really nice. the six areas that I focus on as I organize the event. There's lots of details within each of those categories, but that's really um, the, the areas that we focus on. And paramount to all of that is safety. Um, with all of those areas, we're, we're implementing all of those things into the event to address safety as our number one uh, priority. Hmm. So if you're arriving and, um, I mean, I would trust you with the, with the hardiest advice. Uh, what, what would you share with people signing up for this event, racing, riding, volunteering? What, I mean, if you've got stories or advice, um, what, what would you say? Advice for <laughs> riding the event or signing up or what? Let's start with, uh, someone riding or racing. Yes. Uh, I would, I would, you know, I, I've got my own opinions, but I would think reaching out to people like you three that have experience would be my number one advice. Reach out to people that are veterans that have done this race before. Uh, but I'd imagine all three of you approach it just a little bit differently. Like Spencer may have to, he might have to eat real food and, and Stuart, you might be all liquids. I don't know. But I think for each cyclist, it's a little bit different. And I think you've got to discover um, for yourself 
how to, um, you know, for me, once you get in the race, it doesn't matter how much training you have. If you don't hydrate and, and get the necessary energy during the day, you're not going to finish or not going to finish successfully. Um, so I would reach out to people that have experience to get some of that initial groundwork and foundation. And then, and then through your own experience and training and preparations, discover what's best for you as an individual. What advice would you give to family supporters? Oh man. <laughs> I think they have a bigger job than the cyclists. <laughs> So Jake, Jake supported me last year. He didn't race. I'd say just be patient with your cyclists because their IQ dropped when they strapped the bib number on their body. <laughs> That's uh, true. Uh, isn't that true? Uh, yeah, yeah. Matter whether you're a cyclist or a triathlete or whatever, the, you do things that you wouldn't do if you didn't have that bib number on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, uh, I don't know. For cyclists, I think cyclists need to be great, grateful for their support crews because they go through a lot of crap during the day. Yep. I, Amen. Uh, Amen, Stu. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I watched a lady one year, and this was at that old Henry store north of China Hat, so this was early on. And she is just doing the best she can. She was supporting either her boyfriend or her husband. I'm not sure. But she held up to move that bag. And he come racing by, he grabbed the Musette bag, and she didn't let go. Oh. So she basically clotheslined it, took him right off mm. the bike. And he he got so upset with her and so mad at her, it was almost embarrassing. And you really felt bad for the lady. Um, I think we need to be kind and, and grateful for those people that, that are supporting us. Yeah. Uh, Brent, Brent, I'll share that. I, I, like Stu mentioned, I did Stu's support last year and I don't think, I mean, I've ridden it three times, but I think it was almost more stressful to do support for Stu or just, or just support in general, because I mean, the timing is when you move from, you know, feed zone to feed zone. I mean, it is, it is barely, you, you barely make it sometimes because the guys are going so fast, but it's just so stressful. I mean, it's, it really is interesting being on the other <laughs> side of not racing to being a support guy and, and uh, one of the advantages yeah. of last year of moving the race feed from Afton to Thane, it made it so you could have a little more time to be there, right? That was right. a big, big deal. Yeah. Uh, right. That might be a permanent change. I'm not yeah. sure. We're, mm -hmm. the, 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 one of the challenges with Lodija is we're going through these small towns and you just, it's like you pick the best of the worst to, uh -huh. to, to set up yep. a feed zone. I mean, where, where do you park all these cars? Where do you put I all know. these people? It's, uh, I mean, Brent, it, it, it's just crazy, you know. Brent, what are, what are uh, I mean, now that we're going into 2021, what are some of those changes you guys have identified from learning from 2020, moving into 2021? Like you said, maybe moving a feed zone or. There'll be things some like things that. that we keep from 2020. And what are some of those? Um, share. The staggered feed zones, probably. We're still exploring that, um, but but to half the traffic in those towns, not only keeps us that safe or makes it safer but re because it reduces congestion, but it also, um, the residents like it because, you know, they're not used to having to wait at a stop sign. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it, 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 it's a good, it's a good thing. So mm -hmm. I, I just wish we had big parks with lots of shade trees, uh, and lots of parking in every town, but that's not going to happen. So. <laughs> we 
Well, you have separate uh, maybe finish that's lines part of the culture of Wodeja is just getting you know finding a yeah a place to park. <laughs> Can we get rid of the bridge though? No bridge. Can we not go over that again? Oh, the swinging bridge. Yeah, no good. Yeah, that was uh, just a. That's because we had to avoid all that construction. That will we'll go back to to eighty nine. Okay, good. I thought that was cool, actually. <laughs> it was cool till half our group crashed in the gravel. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, we uh, lost some, we lost some dudes in the gravel. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh well. I actually wrote it. I thought. See, I, I'm one of those weird guys that likes to mix it up. And have do you it write it every year, Brent? Do you write it every year? I used to do it in October. I don't do it during the race. There's no way, but, um, but I used to do it uh, a month later. I'd pick a nice weekend and do it. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I call it loaded you for the wimp because I, I would just take, you know, if I had to stop at ruins to get a cheeseburger, I'd stop at ruins to get a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was setting no time records at all. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Well, thanks for all you do, Brent. We we are looking forward to another successful year. Yeah, we can't wait. We got our hotels. We're locked in. I can't imagine waiting until the day before to get my hotel. That's like first item up for business in February, Logan Hotel. Well, that's the back when it was didn't have as many people, you didn't have a problem getting a hotel room. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brent. Appreciate your time. Anybody else have any other questions or Brent? Any Classic stories you were planning on sharing with us? I'd love to hear your your stories, guys. If you guys have any good stories. <laughs> oh man, that's gotta be another podcast. Yeah, that's <laughs> gonna be a whole nother hour. <laughs> you know, if I were to share what I love most, um, my wife races, uh, and she, she's done her third. And obviously, if I race, she, we have to figure out what to do logistics you know logistics if someone else has to support her and last year was so special asking jake to support me and one of our good friends andy welch to support her and it was almost borderline like sacred it, it was so special to watch these two friends take care of us all day um like an incredible bonding experience that you couldn't have anywhere else it it was just Man, September 12th was probably one of the best days of the year last year. Just so special. And, and loaded to made it possible. Like, that was the only way it could have happened. So, very cool. Are you guys racing to win your categories? Are you guys just racing to, to race with teammates? Yeah, we're racing to win. Both of racing us. To win. Yeah. All three of you? Uh, these the two Yeah, so. the closest. I, I've taken seventh one year, and that's the closest I have come, Brent. I've taken – I took – I took fifth uh, a couple years ago. So I actually didn't know I, I was on the podium and Stu calls me. I was already leaving Jackson. He's like, dude, you <laughs> took fifth. I'm like, you're on the podium. I'm like, I don't, I didn't know that. I had no idea. So anyways, it was fun. I think Stuart, you took fifth last year, didn't you? I did. Yeah. 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 Big bunch, big bunch sprint. We had the 45s with us. So it was the 35s and the 45s together at the finish line. There was a lot of guys coming across together. So how did the award ceremony work out for you guys? Because that was a new experience for us. Yeah, that's we, we had some we had some makeup there. We have to we had some learning on that one to do. I lo I love just doing the the awards right after we right finished. after. Yeah, that's yeah. gonna be that's probably a keeper actually. Yeah, and the location was nice too, just right off the finish line. Yeah, I thought it was really easy. It's great. It's, uh, yeah, it's up on the amphitheater there, up on Jackson Hole Mountain Resort, and uh, worked out well because it was a wonderful day. I mean, the weather couldn't have been better. I mean, it was yeah. perfect. Uh, 
for COVID, you know, all the downs, having it, all the negatives of COVID and then having that wonderful weather and wonderful day, that it almost felt normal. And uh, the weather was a gift. Yeah. Yep, agreed. All right, boys, should we wrap this up? Yeah. Brent, thank you. I appreciate you supporting the event. Oh, man. Uh, Me, Dwellies. To all of of you guys, uh, you three, but everybody on your team, appreciate you coming back year after year. Yeah. And we try to show some love every once in a while with some pictures of you guys on the website. Yeah, we love it. We see it. We We love it. it. As soon as it comes up, we screen capture them and start sending them to each other. So <laughs> <we think> that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Thank you, Brent. Appreciate all, right, all your a, hard work. Have a great day. Thanks, Thanks Brent. Thanks. Bye.